Welcome to Seder Stories, the official podcast of Holy Cross Athletics, presented by JMB Financial Advisors. And now, here's your host, Alex Vispoli. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Seder Stories podcast, where we get to know the student-athletes, coaches, and administrators at the College of the Holy Cross on a little bit of a deeper level. And this is a really fun podcast. Uh, We're going to be talking with former Crusader athletes who are making their lives as professional athletes in their respective sports. So we're going to start off with women's hockey and Erin Hall, who played for the Crusaders from 2014 to 2017. She's now a professional women's hockey player. We're going to stick on the ice with former Crusader Scott Pooley, who's currently in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. We will hear from former Crusader baseball player Nick Lavello, whose dad, Tori, manages the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he is a member of the Boston Red Sox organization, peaking out at AAA just this past season. Finally, we'll hear from a couple of players at the very top of two of the most popular sports in the country, Khalif Raymond, who is on the practice squad for the Tennessee Titans. He played for the Holy Cross football team from 2012 to 2015. And finally, Malcolm Miller, NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors. He played for the Holy Cross Hoops team from 2011 to 2015. We'll hear from him at about his crazy offseason after winning that title up for the Raptors. And we're going to start with women's ice hockey, which, uh, of course, professionally has been a lot in the news over the last year or so. And we're joined by former Crusader Aaron Hall, who played for the Crusaders from 2014 to 2017. Aaron, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm excited. This is my first podcast uh, appearance, so I'm pretty excited to be on. Thanks for having me again. Well, we, we're honored. Uh, happy to have you making your debut. Uh, so you played for Holy Cross, and then you have played professional hockey since. So if you could explain to our listeners just a little bit of your journey on the ice that you've taken since you graduated from the college. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my senior year at Holy Cross, uh, the spring of 2017, I, um, I knew that I wanted to keep playing hockey, so I looked into professional hockey and the following summer, um, after I graduated, I was drafted into the CWHL, which is a professional league. It was in Canada. Um, so I was drafted to the Boston Blades, and I started my career with them and played there for two years. And um, this past summer, I made the switch to the NWHL, and now I am a member of the Connecticut Whale. So, you know, it's a little bit unique as far as women's pro hockey because you know the path to get into professional basketball, to get into football, baseball. It's all very well-worn, and it's been around for a long time, but it's not necessarily as well-known as far as to how to navigate through that, and you're not coming from a big-time, at the time, a Division One hockey program who you know is now, of course, playing in Hockey East. So what was that process like for you? How did you decide that... A, I want to do this. B, I'm capable of doing this. And uh, you know, see how do you how do you find that route out of a non-conventional place uh, for women's professional hockey players? Sure. So um, by the end of my career at Holy Cross, I knew that the transition from me playing hockey to potentially not playing hockey at all would be. It just seemed like not even a possibility for me. So I wanted to kind of investigate the roots that would help me keep playing. Um, 
so that's when that's how I looked into first the CWHL and I looked into kind of playing overseas a little bit but ultimately I knew I wanted to stay kind of local kind of near my family um so that's kind of how I started to look into keep um playing but I knew that at the end of my senior year at Holy Cross I was kind of still at the peak level of my game and I just felt like there was more for me to explore and I just didn't really want to let my skills go to waste kind of so to speak so that's what led me to look into playing professionally just because I knew that I love the game still and I just I don't think that my life would be the same without it obviously um because it just plays such a big role in who I am and and I I like that so that's how kind of I kept going with it. As far as your game on the ice, how do you feel like you have taken that step forward to becoming a professional hockey player? And where do you feel like you have improved the most uh, to allow you to to stay as a professional hockey player? Um, I think obviously when you step into the professional ranks, you have to, you kind of have to up your dedication game to the highest level that you can reach. Um, And especially when we're talking about women's professional hockey, at this point, you it can't be our only source of income, which means that you have to be even more dedicated to your schedule, your, you know, your nutrition, your health and your sleep so that you can still perform on the ice while also taking care of that other aspect of like, I still have to be an adult and kind of hold down either, you know, school or a job. Um So I think just adjusting to that piece where it's like you have other responsibilities in addition to playing a high level of hockey, I think that is a huge piece for me. Um, And going into my third year as a pro, I think that it's, it's it's not getting easier, but I just think that you know what to expect of that routine. Um, And so that's good. Yeah, sure. You know the the little things that go into just the the professional taking care of yourself and just the expectations. I'm sure. As far yeah. as the competition, the players that you're competing with and competing against, uh, you're competing against some of the the best players that are here in North America, whether they're Canadian or American. What's that mm-hmm. experience been like playing with and against? players that have been on national teams and have competed internationally and at the highest, absolute highest level of the sport, that must be uh, just so useful as far as you learning from them and learning how to make yourself even better and get yourself on that level. Yeah, um, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that when you look at hockey and you look against, you look at the people you're playing against, if you get to play against players the best players from around the world that's ultimately where you want to be um and I think that all the work that you put into it is it's kind of rewarding because when you play against those good players and you're just as good as them you know that you worked hard to get there and and that I think that that's a rewarding aspect of it um I also think that playing against high level players is it just makes the game more fun because it's it kind of brings out the competitive aspect in, in everybody. And um, when you play against people at the highest level, that's kind of what drives you to be even better. So um, I think absolutely it's a learning experience to play against people older than me and also that have played on 
big stages. Um, but I think that I'm definitely well prepared for it just given my past and where I've played and what types of things that I've done. So I think it's, um, it's a really good experience overall. Has there been any one player or maybe a couple of players that you've looked out at and said, wow, I'm competing, uh, I'm playing against this person, or maybe somebody makes a play and you're like, oh, I can see why this person is considered one of the best in the world. Is there a moment that you can remember like that in the last couple of years? Um, I would say probably when we played, when I was in playing in the CWHL, we played against one of the Canadian teams and, um, Marie Philippe Poulin was on one of the teams and she is obviously a Canadian national team player. Um, she's just, she has phenomenal skill in all areas of the game. And, um, but on the flip side of that, I play defense and she plays forward. And when I was playing against her, like, it was obviously a challenge to defend her, but I didn't feel out of place, which just speaks to the level of preparedness and, and kind of going back to that determination factor. It's just like, it's a blessing to be able to play against people that good, but also if you can match their skill, then I think that speaks volumes about the type of player that you are and the skills that you've garnered over time. When you take a look at your alma mater here, College of the Holy Cross, and see the development of the women's hockey program, going to Division One, entering Hockey East, now in year number two in Hockey East, how much pride do you have in the development of what the Crusaders have done, and uh, how how closely do you follow that from afar? I am so prideful of Holy Cross and the team I to be honest I wish I was still at Holy Cross every single day I wake up and I'm just like oh man I miss being on the hill so much um but I try to follow the team relatively closely and catch a few games here and there I mean our schedules sometimes are hard because I have games when they have games as well but um I just think that over time the growth of the women's hockey program at Holy Cross has been phenomenal um, when I was there, we were pretty much dominant in the league that we played in. And I can see the team now, as they grow in the next couple of years, being just as good as the top teams in Hockey East. Just because of the, of well, the facilities at Holy Cross are next to none. They're unreal. Um, and just the opportunities that are provided by our coaches there, they have very good um techniques and they're just the right people for the job and I think that um there's nothing but positivity for them in the future and again like I said I I wish I was still there (laughs) as far as the pro game it's having a bit of a moment at least uh with women's hockey in general with the headlines around it how much pride do you take as far as being a, a pioneer and taking on that responsibility of uh, being, you know, a part of a growing sport and being on this front line of getting that visibility up and recognition that, hey, there's some pretty incredible hockey being played by women. It's not just all on the men's side. And how excited are you to continue to grow the sport? I think that the we're putting a tremendous effort forward in trying to in trying to spread women's hockey and get more people to know about it and just kind of making sure that young girls know that there is an opportunity for them in the future. And I have, a, I put a lot of pride in the fact that I'm still playing for those younger people. Um, 
and it's different from the men's game because uh, we don't we don't necessarily do it for the financial aspects because we we don't make as much as they do and i think that in the future that will develop more but i think that because we don't do it for the financial reason it just means that we love the game even more and we're dedicated to helping grow it um and we're fortunate enough to still be playing well aaron you, you're obviously a great pro in uh, the sport of hockey but you know, now you can consider yourself a pro in the podcasting world. You got your first one under your belt, and you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you very much. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we're going to continue to follow you. You've got a lot of support here at the college, and we're uh, really excited for your future. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right, that's Aaron Hall. You can catch her with the Connecticut Whale here for the 2019-2020 season. We're going to continue with the hockey theme here on the Seder Stories podcast in just a moment. We'll be joined by former Holy Cross men's player Scott Pooley. Hockey fans, your line is up. Holy Cross Hockey takes the ice in a few short weeks, and you won't want to miss any of the action at the Hart Center this season. Crusader men's ice hockey season tickets are available now. Be sure to check out our brand new cushion seating section. Order your tickets on GoHolyCross.com slash tickets or by calling the Holy Cross box office at 1-844-GO-CROSS. We're now on the line with former Holy Cross men's hockey player Scott Pooley who finds himself in the professional level in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. And uh, Scott, first of all, thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, where are you right now? Are you training, getting ready for the season? Yeah, uh, we're just wrapping up training camp here. I'm, I'm here in Toronto, actually currently in Brampton. Ontario is here at the hotel. But um, yeah, we got one more week of training camp here, and then uh, the season gets going. So do you know what uh, the plans are for you as to where you'll be once uh, training camp breaks and uh, what are your kind of goals right now over the next week or so? Yeah, um, and it's looking like right now I'm going to start the season back with Newfoundland, uh, with the Newfoundland Growlers, uh, the ECHL. Um, it's at work, really excited. I think we're going to have a really special group again, obviously. Yeah, we had a special season last year, and, and I think we're really excited to be able to follow it up. Um, but just personally, I think, uh, building upon last year and, and really seeing if I can take another step and continue to grow as a player and, and hopefully get a call-up and, and a mainstay with uh, the Toronto Monarchs by the end of the year. Obviously, you guys had a really special season last year winning the Kelly Cup, and you know, just the uh, the organization as a whole must be feeling so much energy with, of course, a year ago, the free agent acquisitions and just the young talent that they have throughout the organization. Uh, from that perspective and where the Maple Leafs are, do you feel that as a player, uh, even you know, as a guy who's trying to battle your way up to make the team? Yeah, uh, I think it's a really exciting time uh, for not only the NHL club, but uh, to be in the, the Maple Leafs organization as a whole. Um, like you said, there's a real buzz around the, the team and the organization at the top, and, and then I think we feel that um, from top down, um, there, there's a, a mindset and there's a goal of winning, and and I think the time is now not only not only for the Maple Leafs but also the Marlies and the Growlers that we have teams that can have really successful seasons, and I think that's the, the expectation for all three. I want to go back to your journey at Holy Cross here because 
uh, you came on so strong in your senior season, had your best year with the Crusaders. You were you were certainly very good in your previous three seasons, but could you feel yourself taking that step forward each and every year? And by the time that you reached the end of your career at Holy Cross, that you know you had dramatically improved yourself as a player. Yeah, I think it was always my goal um, growing up and even at Holy Cross to, to be able to have the opportunity to play professionally. And, and I think that was really why my goal-driven, I was goal-driven the way I was. Um, I, I think the coaching staff did a tremendous job in helping me and stuff and, and helping me develop and, and as a person and a player. Um, and I, I think the, the senior year, uh, as you hinted to, was kind of the culmination of it all. I, I think I was able to really come into the year with confidence and and I think that showed. Um, I was obviously with really good linemates. Uh, I was comfortable playing with Mike Laffin. Him and I were together for the better part of three years. And, and Logan Ferguson was a freshman and came in and did a great job. And we clicked right away. Um, so a, a lot of the a lot of the success I had is, is honestly owed to them and, and the nice plays that they made that I was a lucky recipient of. But uh, no, I, I think to your point, um, my senior year is definitely a culmination of of growth over the last three years, coming into that fourth year and. And, and I think that's what that's what uh, the product is on the ice. When you take a look at your game and uh, where it fits as a pro, and you just the, the professional experience in general, what are the biggest differences that you notice that jump out uh, versus college hockey uh, from from what you've seen? Well, I think you, uh, you have to look at that from two aspects. I think first and foremost, from from the, the game itself, from hockey itself. Um, it, it's a lot different. The season uh, professionally is a lot longer, um, double, almost, almost if not completely double the season in, in uh, a little bit longer time frame, but truthfully right around the same amount of time. And, uh, it's just a little bit different style and stuff because of the, the season length and stuff. So you have to adjust in that regard. But I, I think the biggest change and the bigger adjustment would be off the ice. Um, you have a lot more free time, whereas in college, you have your, your regimented schedule. You have practice. You have class. You have you have meals. You have study time. Like you have a really a really intense schedule. Whereas in pro, um, you kind of have your mornings, practice, and list and whatnot, and meetings. But then the afternoon, you're really free, so you have a lot more free time. And then I think that was the biggest adjustment that I find. And, and talking to other guys who were first year pro last year as well, coming from school, I think they felt the same. That that was the bigger adjustment is is kind of forcing you to find stuff to do, find your interests and what what you wanted to pass your time with, whether it be video games or, or some guys took a class or, or just reading or whatever it is. But I think that was the biggest adjustment is, is really still in that free time. This past season with Newfoundland's, uh, you know, just a fantastic season uh, just for you individually and, of course, for you guys as a team. Uh, did you feel at the start that it was going to be a, a really special group that you guys were going to have a chance to, to win the Kelly Cup? Yeah, I think I think we knew right away we had a special group. Uh, I don't know if we knew how special exactly, but um, I think we, like I said, we knew we had a really really good opportunity in front of us, and um, I, I think the expectation just from within, from day one, was we're winning the championship. Uh, we weren't going to accept anything less. Uh, so yeah, like I said, we had a lot of younger guys, and, and I don't think we fully knew the expectation or the reality of what we had, but. Once we got playing and stuff, we, we really saw what we had and we saw we had something special and, and an opportunity that doesn't come around very often and we didn't want to let it pass by without taking advantage of it. What's the what's the most interesting thing that you've, uh, I guess, come across? Do you have an experience, whether it's a on the ice or off the ice, travel experience, 
uh, that you've had in minor league hockey that, uh, you know, is just maybe something that somebody on the outside wouldn't know? Is there uh, any sort of memorable thing like that that comes to mind uh, as your time with Newfoundland or with Toronto? Yeah, I think I think speaking to Newfoundland first, you don't you don't really understand Newfoundland until you live there. I think I can I can say that now. Um, it's such a special place, the culture, the people, um, everything's so welcoming. Um, and and for a lot of us coming in, not really knowing what to expect, to be welcomed the way we were, it was it was really special. And and to have the fans kind of support us from day one like they did, it was really cool. Um, and I guess for Newfoundland and Toronto, just being able to travel to kind of cities you might not be able to go to um, or you might not look to go to otherwise and stuff, but being able to travel in the sense of, of not really internationally, but um, just within within the U.S. and Canada, um, being able to travel and kind of, one, get to know your teammates better and spend more time with just the teammates and, and, and stuff like that, but also kind of just get to experience new places, either new restaurants, stuff like that. It's the cool aspect of, of being in different cities. You kind of get to experience a different little culture within itself every time you go somewhere else. Do you have a favorite place that you've visited that maybe you had never been before uh, you got into pro hockey? Uh, I think i got to say Western, going back to play against the Railers, just being able to see the guys close to school and stuff. But, um, no, I think I think when I was with the model, we had a day off. We were going from Pennsylvania to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and we had a day off in Manhattan. And I was probably one of the coolest. I had never been in New York City, so um, that was pretty cool. Um, but hockey-wise... And every place is so unique and stuff. I think like in the finals last year, we played in Toledo, Ohio, and, and the atmosphere was so electric and the fans were so passionate. It was, it was an intimidating place to play, but at the same time, it was really cool to say you're a part of it and stuff. So it was just little things like that. I think you can take little memories from each city and each individual place that you go uh, that stand out to you. Did that surprise you in some ways, that passion? Because, you know, of course you always see it at the, you know, the Stanley Cup playoff level in the big cities at, at the highest level of the sport. But, you know, I think you don't always think about, you know, those smaller places that have the minor league teams that have that sort of fan gathering. Did it surprise you how seriously it's taken, uh, you know, by fan bases at those level in those uh, smaller places? Yeah, I think it just shows goes to show how much hockey – um, is truly a, a sport in the United States. Other than just in Canada, but especially the United States, you, you look at some of these cities like like Cincinnati, like Toledo, uh, Indianapolis, a lot of those Midwest cities, and then you, you go to the, the East Coast and you, you have Maine, you have Adirondack, you have Worcester, you, you have all these teams that have such a good a good following and stuff. I think it just goes to show that people truly do love hockey and, and, it, and it's truly a game that people enjoy and want to see. It's it's funny, you kind of see the reach, especially you mentioned the, the big clubs and stuff, but it's, it's funny the, the reach that uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs organization have. I don't think there was one city we played in last year where we didn't see a Maple Leafs jersey or a Growlers jersey. So it, it's, pretty, it's pretty unique situation that I think we're in, but um, the reach that Toronto has and, and therefore the Newfoundland Growlers team has, it's pretty cool to see it having fans in each city. Um, it's sometimes shocking to see how many people we have in a crowd in Orlando, Florida, or somewhere in South Carolina or Atlanta. Um, but it, it's certainly cool, and I think that makes it fun. You know, I guess it's a little bit of a stereotype in a good way uh, when you, you have a player uh, on a team whose father or maybe is really closely related to 
a head coach or a coach somewhere. And, uh, you know, of course, your father uh, coaching at Notre Dame and coached at Providence with David Burrard. And you, you always say, oh, son of a coach. He, he's got that mind. You know, he, he's uh, kind of like a coach on the ice or on the field in whatever sport it is. Is is that sometimes true for you? Do you feel like, okay, I did have maybe a little bit more of a mental advantage because I grew up with this? It's not just something that I did as a, as a kid and then came home and it was no longer part of my life. Do you feel like you had some of that? Yeah, I think growing up around the game the way I did really formed, formed my love for the game and my passion for the game. And, and to be able to kind of develop a knowledge, like you said, from such a young age definitely – um, helped helped my ability on the ice as well as often it's just to be able during film and everything to be able to see plays and and understand what's going on. So yeah, I don't know if it's an advantage per se, but I, I definitely think being able to grow up in the environments that I did at Notre Dame and Providence and, and then carrying into my own hockey career, I think it definitely gave me a, a love for the game that, that I was able to understand um, a lot of aspects from a young age. So I, I kind of had a a burning passion for the game, I guess, since I was born. Um, and then I think that was really shaped by kind of my childhood and how I grew up. And to that point, how did you feel like your experience at Holy Cross helped shape you in that positive direction? And what did you feel like you got here in Worcester that maybe you, you couldn't have got somewhere else or something that you were able to apply to your game that you picked up as a member of the Crusaders that maybe you still keep with you? Yeah, I think, again, that's a two-part answer. I think you obviously have your your on ice developing your 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 development as an athlete, um, and and our coaching staff did a tremendous job whether it be film or skill sessions or or just one on one meetings or whatever you want you needed they really were there for you. Um, but but I think my time at Holy Cross really the bigger part of it was shaping me kind of away from away from the ice kind of how I am as a person. Um, and it's one of the models of the school like being, to be men and women for and with others. Um, and I think that's a true model of what they what they preach and, and how things go at Holy Cross because um, it really allowed me to kind of find who I am as an individual as well as an athlete. And, and I think at the professional level, that's that's a huge thing to have with the free time that I mentioned and, and everything. If, if you know you are, who you are as a person, you're, you're able that much more to really focus on, on your craft and on your sport as opposed to kind of trying to do it all at once and juggle kind of working on your development and worrying about lineup with all the games and everything. And then at the same time, really worrying about what you're going to do off the ice. Whereas, like I said, if you, if you kind of know who you are and what your interests are and what you want to do and not do, it, it makes it a lot easier and, and it makes the transition a lot smoother. You take a look at your last season uh, with Newfoundland, 60 games, 52 points. You had 31 goals. You added 17 more points in the postseason in 23 games. So a really successful full campaign for you. Do you have goals that, that you have for your game that where you want to take it, whether it's a statistical thing, whether it's some other nuance to what you do that uh, you want to say, okay, I took a big step forward here between now and the end of this upcoming season? Yeah, I think I think I had, like you said, I had a very successful season. Like I said, with my time at Holy Cross, a lot of that really do to the guys I was playing with. We had a lot of good players on our team. And from top to bottom, anyone could could make a play night in and night out. So it was really exciting in that regard. But um, I think coming into this year, um, the the thing is just kind of going without expectation. I think just improving on things I can improve on, and and, and really work on developing my game to get myself to the next level. Um, at the same at the same time, really helping my team in any way they can. Um, so 
whether that be scoring a goal or blocking a shot or filling a penalty or whatever that is, um, just coming in and doing that to the best of my ability. And, and I have confidence in that to know that if I can do that to the best of my ability, that we're going to have team success from that also of individual success. Well, Scott, it's great catching up with you. And, you know, uh, we, we're just love following you and everybody else who's gone into the pros here from Holy Cross and wish you all the best of luck here in the upcoming season and uh, hope to see you up in the NHL sooner rather than later. Sounds good to me. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Scott Pooley, joining us here on the Seder Stories podcast. Hello, Crusaders fans. The print shop at Masterman's is proud to be the official screen printing and embroidery specialist of Holy Cross Athletics. Get your team a business logo on apparel and hats with embroidery or screen printing from my huge selection of athletic, high-vis, and work-work holding options and vinyl banners, too. We'll quickly and easily help you leave your team's or businesses mark on the world. Visit Masterman's.com today. That's Masterman's.com. Masterman's, since 1961. Go Crusaders! All right, now joined by former Holy Cross baseball player Nick Lavello. And uh, Nick, Boston Red Sox minor league player, just wrapped up the 2019 season. And, you know, you're a couple of weeks out from the end of the season. Just uh, how you feeling? How's your off season going? And, uh, you know, just how you look back on, on 2019 at this point. Right. Yeah, um, it's going great. Um, off season is always one of my favorite times of the year. Um, just because of, you know, not a downtime and free time you have a little bit after such a long and grinding season. So um, it's been good. I've just kind of been taking some time off and decompressing and seeing, you know, friends and family that I went without seeing for so long and um, doing a little bit of traveling and, yeah, just um, just enjoying it right now. And, you know, pretty soon we'll start to get back into the off-season routine of, working out and you know doing all that stuff but now like I said just just hanging out and enjoying this time yeah at this point you've had a couple of off seasons under your belt so I'm sure you have a pretty good idea okay when do I start getting ready to go you know for you what is your process and how do you get ready for spring training when does that really start Mm -hmm. in earnest for you um workouts we get you know they give us off-season lifting programs and stuff and that starts uh around October so that's actually in the will be the first thing I start getting into and then um baseball stuff I usually you know depends but uh I'd say I start swinging and taking down balls sometime around November December again and um yeah then once January rolls around start ramping things up and you know come February try and hit the ground running spring train we got to uh four Myers. Let's talk a little bit about your 2019 season because it was a, a little bit crazy. You were up and down all over the place in the Red Sox system, high A, double A, triple A. Uh, just the, the movement from one place to another, seeing different levels of baseball, and I'm sure having a lot of different experiences with teammates. Uh, what was this kind of whole experience like for you this past season and, and of course, getting to triple A for the first time? Right, yeah, it was kind of a crazy season in all honesty. Um you know, getting moved up and down between those three levels. I think I was there, you know, multiple times each. So um, it's kind of felt myself kind of always like living out of a suitcase or, you know, scrambling to make a flight or something. But, you know, it's, it's the way it is. Um, it's how it goes in, in our uh, business. And, yeah, I was uh, I was lucky to be the guy that they trusted to, you know, get sent up to double A or get sent up to triple A and you know, get ready to perform up there with those guys. So, um, yeah, it was it was fun. I had a great time. All three teams were 
uh, had great guys on it and run, uh, put it, had great coaches too, um, in charge. So, um, made it easier when, you know, whenever you get to one of those places and you know, all the guys and you can kind of just, um, jump right in and, you know, do what you're there to do. And that's playing baseball and helping that team win. A lot of fans might not really realize the, the, subtleties the differences between the levels and seeing is that you saw all three of those top levels of the minor leagues how does each one compare mm-hmm. and, and how are they different from your perspective uh i think just the main thing for me was uh, kind of like just the ages and the experience with each level you went up you know high a's more younger guys like i was one of the older guys down there um you know guys who are just entering, you know, the system on their first few years, first full seasons and whatnot there. And then, you know, double A AA and triple A, you got guys who are, you know, a lot older and way more experienced and who have been in the big leagues. And, um, you know, I was like one of these, the youngest guys up there when I would get make that jump. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, that was, like I said, the, all three levels that were, in our system we're just filled with great guys and um i was lucky to be a part of all three of those teams this year being with the red sox organization and your dad obviously playing a, a strong role in the red sox organization before moving on uh being drafted twice mm-hmm. by the red sox was that was that special for you is it still special uh obviously to have that red sox name across your chest and whether it's the uh the p or mm-hmm. the uh for portland or Pawtucket, just uh, mm-hmm. to be able to be a part of the organization yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I I say it all the time. It's one of the best, you know, well, best well-run organizations, um, you know, not just in all baseball, but in all sports, I feel. And um, top to bottom, you know, from our coordinators, uh, front office people down to our coaches and, you know, staff, like it's all, it's all first class, like I said, and I'm very, um, very lucky to be a part of it. And um, yeah, pretty it's like a dream come true every day, you know, being able to wake up and see you play for the Boston Red Sox. So it's something that, you know, I'm very fortunate about and I think I'm very lucky to be a part of. In addition to you bouncing around from team to team, you also bounced around uh, just in terms of your own versatility in the infield. You played a lot at third base, shortstop, second base. Is that something that also uh, is an adjustment? Because I know that they're all the infield and there's some similarities there, but, you know, really different responsibilities when you take a play-to-play, you know, aspect of or look at what is different between them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, something that was new for me this year. I really hadn't played much third base since uh, my freshman year at Holy Cross. Um, but yeah, that's something that I pride myself on is being ready to play any position, you know, on any given night. And, um, you know, it's, third base is different than the middle infield, but, which is where I've been used to playing. But um, yeah, then they all you got to do is just stay locked in and, you know, feel the ball, pick it up and throw it to the right base. And, um, you know, there's some things you got to be more dialed in on, like, you know, blunt defenses or, you know, situational stuff that, you know, comes up throughout a game that, you know, I wasn't really used to. But, um, yeah, it's like anything. The more you work on it, the better you come at it and more comfortable you get. So that was something that, um, you know, if I want to be make the big leagues and be kind of like a utility player, that's something that I have to be, you know, comfortable doing. And this year I felt like I did that. 
I'm sure one thing that's interesting about baseball in particular is that players just come from everywhere, and I'm sure you have seen it firsthand, whether it's internationally, but also here domestically, come from all sorts of different schools and programs, whether it's high school or college. And in your case, obviously, Holy Cross uh, has not necessarily had a lot of guys in pro ball the last few years. So to be able to, to carry that Holy Cross tradition and be a representative of the college in professional baseball and hopefully for you get up to the major leagues. Uh, how much pride do you carry in that uh, with the alma mater? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I was very lucky to spend my, you know, college experience at Holy Cross and play there for Coach Desenzo and um, all the other coaches that I had my time there. And um, yeah, it's, I know there's only a few of us, like you said, in uh, throughout the professional ranks. So, yeah, it's something I try and do. Um, you know, I'm going out there and representing our school, representing our program, you know, the way I carry myself on and off the field. So, you know, like I said, uh, I'm very, I feel very blessed and fortunate to play for the Red Sox. Like, I also feel very blessed and fortunate, like you said, to have gone to Holy Cross and, you know, represent the Crusaders every time, uh, every night I'm out there playing. I know your focus is obviously on what you can do as far as your career and for the Red Sox organization, but how, how much do you follow the program? I'm sure that you were very well aware making the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, and uh, do, you, do you still check on those Patriot League scores uh, when you're on those bus rides, seeing how the team is doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, I always try and keep tabs with the guys and see how they're doing. And um, uh, I was really happy that um, we just hired Coach Capen. Um, he was one of my teammates there, and so that'll you know help me feel a little bit more connected to the program now that um, the actual guys I think I played with are all graduated through the program now. But yeah, still keep up. I still check in on their almost every game, uh, see how they're doing on the weekends during their um, you know those doubleheaders action, and uh, yeah, hopefully throughout the playoffs and everything. So I'm always I'm always solid and pulling for the guys. Obviously, coming from a baseball family, your father, manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, how much of an influence does he still have on you growing your game? And I know it's a little bit odd because he's with a different organization than you, but I mean, I'm mean, i sure that there's some of that learning and he's giving you advice and uh, you're trying to pick up as much as you can from his experiences too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of the best uh baseball minds out there you know so i'm incredibly um lucky to have him as a resource and have him as someone you know i can always go to you know when things are going good or things are going bad he's always you know he's been in that situation before so he knows what i'm feeling knows what i'm going through and um you know like i said to have him there and you know have someone like that with that kind of baseball knowledge is it's awesome for me as a you know player and for as just a person as well so as far as your game you know of course you're an infielder you played a lot of third base second base shortstop here this past season uh and you know shortstop coming up but last couple of years you've also made your uh, debut on the mound at the professional <laughs> level and yeah. you uh, i mean this is impressive you have matched the all-time baseball record for lowest career era can't get any lower <laughs> 
than 0.00, <laughs> and it's not like you've only faced one guy. You, you've gone a full inning over the last two years, have not given yeah. up even an unearned run. So, uh, you know, is that uh, is, is that something point of pride to you, and you want to make sure that you, you keep it perfect? Say, you know, Skip, maybe uh, pitch somebody else in a blowout. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's one of the one of my biggest, uh, one of my proudest moments is when, you know, I got up there and score the game wasn't too good, but, you know, someone's got to go out there and try and get people out. And that's what I, I threw my first inning. I think I threw, I don't know, 15 or 20 pitches or something. And um, I got in a little bit of a jam, gave up a couple of hits, but yeah, like you said, no, no runs. And then this year I came in, um, we we're in a tough spot again and threw one pitch and got a pop out. So yeah, it's something that I'm very proud of. And no, I think if I need to, if they need me back out, I'll get out there, but you can't get any better than one pitch one out and uh, you're you're done for the <laughs> night that's that's pretty good uh, as far as your your normal uh your normal day job as uh as a position player where do you want to take your game what are the things that you know that you need to work on to give yourself a chance to get to the <clears throat> show mm-hmm. well i think you know everything really i gotta you know get better all assets of my game you know defensively just you know like i said becoming trying to become that utility guy who can come in any spot in any position and you know just know that i'll be there and make all the plays and um, be dependable out there and then um offensively i think just prove all errors in my game here too you know hit for better average um you know, more uh, extra base hits, executing, you know, all the situations, um, especially, you know, moving runners or getting guys in, less than two outs. And, yeah, I think just become more consistent and dependable from the offensive side too. And, um, you know, hopefully have some more success next year and then see where it takes us from there. Yeah, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, if you're if you're still in AAA, uh Maybe a couple of years, you can give your teammates a tour around Worcester when the uh, the Woo Sox are making their debut. You can give everybody all the inside uh, hot spots. Absolutely, I keep telling all the guys what to look forward to and some of the good spots around uh, where they're making the park, where they're building it. Well, so, Nick, I'm excited for that too. You've got a lot of support here at Holy Cross. A lot of folks rooting for you, and that support uh, just waiting for the day that you can make your major league debut. We want to thank you so much for joining us here. Hey, man, thank you for having me. I always love, uh, you know, talking about the Crusaders and talking about Holy Cross, so pleasure to be on. Nick Lavello, a Red Sox prospect, joining us here on the Seder Stories podcast. You're busy. We get that. At UMass Memorial Healthcare, we know the last thing you need to worry about is making your next doctor's appointment. So we've made that process even easier. Now you can visit us online at umassmemorial.org slash appointment to find a doctor and schedule an appointment all from the comfort of anywhere. Choose 24-7 access to a growing list of primary care physicians and specialists at umassmemorial.org slash appointment. Or give us a call during business hours at 855-UMASS-MD. Schedule your care from anywhere today. Back here on the Seder Stories podcast, and we are currently on the line with Tennessee Titan and former Holy Cross wideout and return specialist Khalif Raymond. And Khalif, we join you a couple of weeks into your NFL season. How are yep. you? I'm great, man. Um, like I said, we just got done with our week four game, so uh, just in the um, in the beginning stages of it. So, yep, going great. 
Yeah, how's the season gone for you uh, as a member of the practice squad? You're in on everything, uh, not playing in the games, but you are mm-hmm. you know, as much a part of the team as anybody else. And so, how has thing how have things gone from your perspective? Um, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a grind, um, just like it is for everybody else, except for we don't uh, we don't sit up on Sundays. But uh, but no, I mean, we we go through the week through the same uh, studying sessions, the um, practices, the workouts. So uh, it's, it's just pushing along just with everybody else. Yeah, and, and grind is usually the word that, that folks use for the training camp especially, and it's hot mm-hmm. and you're long days and you're trying to work your butt off to make the team. How thrilled are you to get that in the rearview mirror and just get into the week-to-week that goes with the NFL season? Oh, yeah, I mean, this is this. <laughs> I think this is my, my fourth training camp here in, uh, in, the, uh, in the NFL, so uh, they, can, they can definitely be tough. But, um, yeah, no, definitely excited to get to the games. I mean, the, se- the Sundays are which you kind of work towards, and the seasons which you work towards. Um, that's what all the hard work in the off season is for. So uh, definitely good to get into it. Um, um, yeah, but it's, it's it's like still a grind as always. Um, like I said, winning the NFL game is a very very hard thing. So uh, um, just the, just preparation um, is still the same. So. So yes, take sir. take us into a little bit about what you do on the practice squad because it's a, a little bit of a mystery sometimes to fans mm-hmm. as to exactly what the roles are and how you help the team and you know players get signed off the practice squad you've uh, been signed off practice squads in the past so they're they're still full on members but explain kind of what your day to day is and week to week life is like in the NFL. Um, it's, it's, it's a combination of a couple of things. It's, it's an opportunity, which I'm definitely grateful for. But uh, I think for every practice squad guy, it's, it's an opportunity to continue to, to showcase yourself and to get better, but also give, you know what I'm saying, if you're on defense, the offense looks, and if you're on offense, the defense looks. Um, so you're doing it's a combination of those two. You're, you're helping these guys get prepared as best they can and hopefully be even a bigger challenge than what they face in, um, in the game. But also – you get to work on your craft. Um, like I said, we you go to every meeting. You're at every. You work out actually maybe even more. Um, but you and, and it's a, and it's the greatest way to get in shape because you're on every special team, every look team, every scout team there is. So uh, um, it's, it's it's another opportunity to kind of honing your skills um, as well as get um, your, the team prepared to play on Sunday. So uh, you, yeah, we go to every meeting. Um, you study because you could be activated at any point in time during the week so you have to also prepare yourself to play as well so um it's it's someone i think for me uh particularly you have to kind of even be smarter than usual because you're taking on a that huge workload um and you have to be able to prepare yourself to do it every day and to raise up the potential play on sunday so you have to be smart about taking care of your bodies um you have to study just as hard just in case you're activated and you also have to study a little bit on the other team to make sure you're giving a look that you're supposed to so that way they can be prepared so um a lot goes into it um but like i said it's basically the it's basically the same thing um except for you you don't play on sundays but you still have to prepare to do it so um yeah yeah that's the data the day-to-day grind <laughs> and that mental side is, is where the holy cross education especially comes out to help you right gives you the advantage oh, over sure. other guys uh yeah no i mean that <laughs> studying studying the holy cross that prepared me because I actually uh, told my my little brother today. He was uh he was just kind of inquiring like, well, do you have to study when you're when you go and play in NFL? And I'm like, you know what? Actually, it's almost sometimes even more because I mean, his plays are constantly changing. You're kind of you're all constantly adding on to the playbook, um, and there's all kind of, you can there's all kind of different add-ons to plays that you also have to know. So uh, I'm I'm studying just as much, and uh, obviously studying Holy Cross and all it had and having to get used to doing that is that preparing me for the NFL because we're studying new plays every day. So um, definitely. And that helps you if you go out to the field and 
and you don't know what to do, it's hard to do your best and do it well. But if you go onto the field, you can knock out at least knowing what you're supposed to do. Um, it gives you a better advantage. So, yeah, well, definitely. And also the fact that you've played with different organizations, you've worked under different head coaches, different systems, your knowledge base just has to be so much stronger than it was when you first got into this because, as you said, you've you've not only prepared for other teams, but you've prepared for your own team systems, whether it's been with yep. Denver, the New York teams, or now here with the Titans. Exactly. I mean, I, I told him I have – I have so many notebooks from the because I've been in different offenses um, and, and they're all different style of offenses. There's different um, names for everything, um, different ways that they implement putting into play. So, you know, it's kind of it's always an adjustment learning a, a new playbook. Um, but no, having having studied so much, I kind of I kind of know now, especially going into year four, um, you know, the ways to study. Hey, what's the best way for me to pick up the playbook? And, uh, and yeah. Yeah, to put it all together. A lot of people back here in New England have very fond memories of Mike Vrabel for his time, of course, with the Patriots. What's it like playing for him? Um, I mean, he, Coach Wright is a great coach, <laughs> um, especially you know playing for a guy that has played before. There's just a different level of knowledge and connection that he's able to give to us, and uh, definitely something that I'm grateful for. Um, because when he's speaking to guys, he's speaking like, "Hey, man, I've I've been in these situations in your shoes, so like I wouldn't." Things that I'm, I'm telling you is nothing I even haven't. I didn't have to adjust to myself or learn myself or do myself. So um, it's cool when it's, it's somebody you play for that's actually played. I mean, they can give you a different level of insight and they can connect with you better than you uh, than you would expect. So I definitely I definitely appreciate that part of him because uh, you know, so he's talking to us not just as a coach, but you know, he's like, hey man, I've been there before, so I'm, I'm also can come to you as a player. So yeah. that's probably one of the biggest things about him that I appreciate. And as part of training camp, you guys had the opportunity to have a joint practice with the Patriots there in mm-hmm. town. And uh, what was it like competing against them? And you know, I know you're not necessarily competing against uh, the the Patriots offense and Tom Brady, but just sharing the field with uh, the team that just won the Super Bowl and, of course, Mike's uh, old team. Uh, that that had to be an interesting experience. Did you pick up anything or learn from anything as far as the way the Patriots conduct their business? Um, I mean, it, it's just it's cool to see uh, the preparation they've also done. I mean, at that point in camp, the coolest thing about uh, joint practices, I believe, is uh, it's the first time you don't have to. I mean, you can go against new faces. You've been going against you guys, the same guys, all camp. I mean, grinding out together. But uh, it's happened. So, I mean, it has another level of competition, too. So uh, just having another team come in, it gives you a little bit more juice uh, in practice. Uh, but, no, it's, it's always cool to see how those guys prepare and how we uh, obviously how we match up and uh, just to see the different ways in which they will conduct practice versus how we conduct practice. So um, it's always cool to see those guys, especially the Patriots. I'm, I, them coming in, I mean, this, this um, one of my favorite receivers is also uh, Julian Edelman, man. So, I mean, all those guys coming in and watching the way they work and what uh, extra things that they do to prepare for the game. So um, definitely always picking up picking up as much as, as much as I can learn and what they do differently. So Yeah, and as a wide receiver who's undersized, uh, you know, you mentioned Edelman, and uh, you know, there are plenty of wide receivers that are not big guys in the NFL. Are there mm-hmm. other players that you've looked at say, okay, this is how they've found a way to succeed despite not being 6'2", 210. Uh, who are some of those role models for you that maybe either you've tried to model yourself after or that you've really picked up some some pointers just observing the way they operate? Um, I say, uh, I mean, Steve Smith, Andrew Hawkins, obviously uh, Julian Edelman. I mean, a lot of the small, Danny Amendola, a lot of things that they, they do as far as uh, their routes. And one thing that I really appreciate between uh, Julian and uh, Steve is the, their toughness, especially being you know, they're not 6'2 guys like you mentioned, um, but seeing their toughness, their tenacity when they go on and play. Um, 
the tip that they have is something that I can definitely appreciate just because I'm similar size to those guys. But uh, I want, and one, thankfully I got to play with Emmanuel Sanders and he's not necessarily the smallest guy, but I got to see his work ethic and everything that he did was a hundred, whether it was a walk through a jog through or full practice. I mean, he was always detailed in everything he did. So um, seeing those guys, um, seeing Emmanuel Sanders practice in person and also seeing Jules and, um, and Steve in the games and watching how, you know, saying how, tough those guys are definitely uh definitely guys that i look up to you know we talked a lot about the practice squad but you have made uh, appearances on the active roster you've gotten Mm -hmm. into games and uh, just curious the first time that you found out that you made an active roster what Mm -hmm. was that experience like for you and how was your reaction did you feel ready were there were there moments of nerves when the first time you stepped out there during a live game um i wouldn't say there was a like i said the preparation that you do during the week, um, like I said, now that I'm making making an NFL roster, you have to be prepared. Even on basketball, you have to be prepared to play. So, thankfully, mentally, I had prepared myself each week. I was studying each week in meetings each week as if I was going to play. So, mentally, I was there. Um, and I think more than anything, I mean, like I said, it's you're you're in a real regular season game. So there were there were definitely uh, some nerves. Um, but uh, for this year, making the roster after camp. Uh, initially um it was almost like uncharted territory i was like okay man i set the bar and i, I achieved this and i'm like what's next um and that was that was probably the part that was the the the, the toughest thing to, to push through is just to kind of like, okay where do where do i want to set my bar where do i want to set my goals now so now that i'm actually playing what do i want to do um but no that, that's still like i said the preparation into each week just to make sure that you're ready is definitely important so um i definitely uh put emphasis on that and you've had opportunities, as we've said, with, with multiple teams. What do you think, if you were to just kind of look at yourself, what do you think attracts uh, other teams to you when, when they are scouting and they say, okay, well, Khalif Raymond's name is, uh, you know, he's available. What do you think is, uh, you know, maybe it separates you from another guy that has, has given you so many opportunities? Um, I want to say just I, 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 I like to say my work ethic. Um, I want to say that I want to be one of the hardest workers on the field and off the field so uh and, and I, that's tough to see from afar but uh I, that's probably the biggest thing that i would like to showcase on my field that on the field that i want to be the one of the hardest working guys out there and i want to give them all every time you know that's all you can really ask for um like i said every in the nfl everybody's fast everybody can catch everybody's strong i mean it's it's a bunch of talented people in the nfl so i think the best way to separate yourself is when that work ethic meets talent and that's um that's where I want to showcase my, my best bet. Like, I'm, I'm one of the hardest working guys. So um, that's the, the foot that I'm hopefully putting forward. Where do you feel like that came from as far as your ability? Because not everyone has that. Not everybody has that mode where they're just going to work harder than the next guy. Where do you feel like that comes from for your life? Um, I think it's I think it's natural. I mean, I, I've always had, obviously, being the, being the smaller guy and uh, everything that has happened to me growing up. But uh, even, like I said, coming from Holy Cross, man, we're, we're a small school. Um so you don't get as much attention coming in. So you have to do something more to showcase, your, to showcase yourself. And uh, you, you don't come from one of the big SEC schools. I mean, we're, we're small, doing double A in the Patriot, Patriot League. So uh, when you finally get there, you're like, hey, man, this has got to be something I can do to separate myself. Um, and that started from the first day I got into the league till now. I'm not having to continuously separate myself. So uh, I think it came naturally just because uh, you had to stand out some way. You know, hey, I didn't, go to, I didn't go to Alabama or Oregon or anything like that, but – 
what I can tell you is like, who is that guy who's working that hard? So I think that's a, it comes naturally as a small school guy. Yeah, and I'm sure that the, you must have a lot of pride in educating people on uh, Holy Cross and saying, hey, I'm I'm here to represent the Crusaders and I'm carrying that banner here in the NFL. No, it all it always feels good, man. I have I have a lot of love from that from that school, man. They I had a lot of I have a lot of support from Holy Cross, and uh, I'm thankful for it. So anytime that I get to showcase and uh, <laughs> and rep Holy Cross Crusaders, I'm always uh, happy to do so. Was there anything that you remember from your time here? You were here from 2012 to 2015 that you feel you know has really helped prepare you for this journey that you've been on. Is there something that you can pinpoint that said you know? I'm not sure I would have gotten this anywhere else, but I got it at Holy Cross, and it has really helped set me up for where I am right now and where I want to go. Um, I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, there there are a few things. Um, obviously, being up at that school, I'm, I'm from Georgia, and actually none of my direct roommates were from Boston or Massachusetts or anywhere in the Northeast. They're from Texas and California, so and they all kind of had similar work ethics, and they came from similar backgrounds, so... Um, we kind of all pushed each other. Um, even with uh, Coach Tom Gilmore, he was he was the head coach when I was there. Um, he had us doing things that were that prepared us to be men after after football and after college. And um, like even like breakfast and wake up sign ins, and just to make sure that you start your day the right way. Um, and like we always and we always if we could we always practice no matter what. So we were outside in the snow, rain, and everything. So the just the the grind of being on Mount St. James all together. Um, it, it, it helped me prepare because I had been grinding for so long already with my teammates that were all having the same new experience together. Um, Massachusetts in the cold and, <laughs> and the coldest uh, state that I could think of right now for the first time. Um, and then obviously with Coach Gilmore, um, he always, you know what I'm saying, even when it was tough, he still had us working through it. So um, all, all of that together, I think it, it just prepared me to have that tenacity in me when I finally got an opportunity. So um, yeah, all, uh, that's why I have so much love for the school, man, because I, I, I definitely grew as a person while I was there. So, As a Georgia guy, did, did you see much snow before you made your way up to Worcester? Um, the one account that I have of, of Georgia snow, I think it snowed for a few days. I think they shut school down for like two weeks. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was not, I think, one account prior to prior to going up to Massachusetts. And uh, I always joke with my friends, it's like, I didn't, I didn't even bring a big coat because I was like, oh, a couple of sweaters and uh, I'll be all right. And um, I finally get there and all of my roommates were all looking at each other like, you didn't tell me it was going to be this cold when we got here. So uh, definitely wasn't prepared for it. So um, like I said, it was definitely a good experience and I'm glad, glad I went through it. Yeah, I'm sure you got accustomed to it, even if you never really quite got used to it. Yeah, I tell everybody now, I said, look, man, there's one thing I know how to do is I can play in the cold now. That is, <laughs> that is not a fact that I've learned what steps to take to make sure you're good during the, uh, during the code game. So, you know, you, you've yes, got sir. such a, a positive attitude and such a hard worker. And I would imagine that those two characteristics are essential for a guy that ha- has been forced to grind. You use that word a few mm-hmm. times, you know, you've yep. been with uh, multiple teams and I- I'm sure that, you know, you, you've got folks that are saying, Hey, you know, this team could use you. This team could use you when you were, you know, not with a particular team. Yep. It is how important is it to keep that positive attitude when you know you're you're at this point not that superstar level, but you're still working mm-hmm. at it, and you you feel like there's a place, and so far there has been a place for you at the highest level. Yep. And I think, uh, like I said, it's a grind, um, and it's more mental than anything. Um, like I said, coming an undrafted, undrafted life is is already different from a, from a, from college or drafted. So it's already an uphill battle. But undrafted from a small school guy, I mean, it's 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 a lot stacked against you. So mentally, you ha- kind of have to prepare yourself. You have to. It's almost like making a decision. Like, do I? I know that I have the physical ability here. 
to, to play in the NFL, but it's the mental aspect to tell yourself to be positive and to always trust in your own abilities and, um, and to, and to push through um, any adversity because I've had plenty of it. So uh, I think, I think that's definitely, if, if I didn't have that, um, that mental, that mental preparation um, to play in the NFL or, and to have gone through everything that we did in Holy Cross and uh, to be mentally prepared for the grind itself. Um, I don't think I'll still be playing the league today, but uh, I think, and I think that's what also when we get here, what separates people who stick and people who kind of further out a little bit is the guys who are like, man, I'm going to, I'm meant, I mentally made a decision to stick it out and to do everything that I can to stay here. So uh, definitely been a, definitely been a long process, definitely been an uphill battle, but uh, I think if you mentally make that decision to go for it, um, I think it'll all work out in the end. So, if there's a highlight for you as far as your playing career to this point, would it be making that catch against Kansas City back in 2017? Um, <laughs> that was actually I'll, t- I'll tell you what that was. Uh, it was really funny because I was, it was Eli and I throwing that one, and I remember coming across the middle, and I was looking. I was like, man, it's, it was. I think it was a zero blitz, so it was man coverage. They all came, and I was looking at them, and I was like you know what, he might throw me the ball. And then uh, he started like, raising his arm, like, wait a minute, he's looking at me, and he's raising his arm. I <laughs> mean, he might throw me the ball. And then he threw him, like, oh, snap, the ball's actually coming. So uh, that was definitely one of the one of my favorite moments. But, uh, but yeah, no, I've had, I've had so many over the course of years. I, I think just the, just the time that you spend uh, connecting with your with your other teammates, because, like I said, they've, they've came from all different kind of grinds themselves. So, uh, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of, I have a lot of moments, man, I'm very thankful of, uh, and a lot of it comes from the teammates and the guys that I've, that I've just been around, not even necessarily playing with, but the practices and, and just all grinding together. Um, those are some of my favorite moments. So obviously with you and your role, uh, you're, you're, you know, so team first because you're trying to get everybody ready to go for mm-hmm. you know the next week's game. But for you personally, what are your individual goals, and, and what do you hope to achieve here to to take your game to the next level and and uh, you know keep keep staying in the NFL and make an impact? Um, and I I think right now, uh, like I said, you can you can look at it one or two ways. Um, like you say, all you you mentioned just the mental positivity. Um, I'm looking at this time now because we, I mean, training camp was a long training camp, but uh, it's, I get this time to continue to be a pro. Um, so that way when I have, I'm not necessarily playing on Sundays, so I get a chance to kind of heal my body, work on the things I want to, whether it be my grip um, and just continue to make sure I'm catching even more balls than everybody else is catching every day. I mean, so I, I, you have time now, or me personally have time now to work on the traits that I want to make sure once I finally put that, put the helmet on during the game that I'm ready um, so it's a, it's a lot of little things here and there, but I have the time to use it to make sure my body's healthy, to make sure I'm mentally, I have extra time to study for the plays and I have extra time to work on catching and catching punts. Um, I mean, I have a lot of time to work on the, the, the little things that I want to fix. So uh, I, I look at this as an opportunity. Um, I, have, I have time to get even more ready than I would have been week one because I have the time just to work on the little things before my actual game day season starts. So, uh, like I said, I have a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of stuff to to work on, but I'm thankful for the opportunity that I get, so that way I'm even more ready than I would have been um, if I started out the season on active. So, well, Khalif, we've got a lot of folks here at Holy Cross that are rooting for you, cheering for you, and can't wait to see uh, what you do next. And want to thank you so much for spending the time with us. Best of luck here moving forward for you and for the Titans, of course. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys having me. All right, that's Khalif Raymond, former Holy Cross receiver, joining us here on the Sader Stories podcast. It's more than just a story from Big Y. Hi, my name's Ryan. I'm a meat manager from the Great Barrington Big Y. 
We want to make sure that everybody comes in happy, leaves happy, and wants to come back knowing that we're their butcher. We have all sorts of grass-fed beef in the meat department. If you come in at 7 o'clock at night and go, hey, I want an inch and a half thick ribeye, you're getting an inch and a half thick ribeye. It still feels like that old school butcher. It's giving it to you straight. It's more than food. It's my big why. Here on the Seder Stories podcast, and we are joined by the first Holy Cross player that has made the NBA in 37 years when he made his Toronto Raptors debut a little over a year ago. Malcolm Miller joins us. Malcolm, first of all, thanks for joining us. And uh, how are you doing with your prep for the new season? I'm pretty good. I'm actually in uh, Quebec City for training camp now. So all the summer league and summer prep and, you know, finally put into the test right now. So what's the process right now for you getting ready? And I know media day is uh, either today or around the corner and all the NBA teams are getting ready. But how do you focus yourself and, uh, you know, from your physical uh, game to your mental game to prepare to get out there, make the team and, you know, spend another year in the NBA? Um, well, you know, most of it's been summer work. This summer has been a pretty short summer considering how deep in the playoffs and finals we win, you know, winning the whole thing. But um, a lot of the work has been during the summer. And uh, right now, you know, it's mostly just showcasing that work, whether it's, you know, uh, all the shots and things and uh, mobility work that I've done in the summer. And during training camp is now the time to, you know, showcase that. So, you know, you can fight for minutes, fight for a spot on the team and so on. You know, off season just must have also been crazy for you. Uh, like you said, winning the championship. Uh, did you have time to to celebrate it? How did you celebrate it? Um, well, we celebrated with the team as a team for the first couple of days when we were out in um, out in the L.A. and Bay Area and everything. But then, you know, by myself, uh, I have uh, a trophy event on in my community at my old high school. You know, just to just to celebrate with the community, uh, raise awareness for kids, like let them know, you know, hey, your dreams are possible. There's a guy in the area who did win an NBA championship. He kind of flew under the radar most of his career. But, you know, just to, you know, let kids know, you know, keep striving, keep working hard, and you can achieve your dreams. So the celebration was pretty much all summer long, but uh, – I had to fit in my workouts around all the celebrating. <laughs> you know that the the kids and the folks who are listening to you it just uh, it must make their ears perk up. I mean, a little bit more than maybe it was before. The fact that you were on that great Raptors team and to to knock off the Warriors. Uh, I mean, just just storybook for you. Do you ever pinch yourself just to think the way the last couple of years have gone, where you were, where you are, and uh, you know just the the crazy events that have happened in your life the last couple of years? I mean, it's been a truly amazing, amazing story. I mean, and a, an amazing ride as well. You know, to not really be heavily recruited out of college to starting to have a good college career, to having a good college career, to getting an opportunity with the Celtics and going overseas and then coming back to, to the Raptors, starting a couple games, getting hurt, and then finally coming back to that championship team. You know, it's definitely a lot of a lot of ups and downs in there. But, I mean, yeah, it, you do have to pinch yourself because it's it, – to know all the stuff that you've been through and you can still come out on top and you're still playing the game that you love. You know, it's, it's really a blessing and an amazing experience. And I'm thankful for this opportunity and all the people that helped me to get to this point. 
That championship celebration after you guys won the title, it, it looked like the entire city of Toronto and half of Canada descended upon downtown to celebrate with you guys. That must have just been as special as anything. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. I've never seen that many people just crowded in one spot, just cheering for hours. Uh, the parade was supposed to be a two-hour uh, trek from where we started to where we ended, and it ended up being five hours just because there was so many people. The streets were crowded. I think it was a little over three million people that showed out. And it was actually people from all over the world as well. So we had people coming up to us saying, we flew from India, we flew from China just to come to the parade. And, you know, it's really... It's really impactful to see how far basketball is reaching. You know, the first call-up must have been, you know, a huge thrill for you a couple of years ago. But the fact that you grinded your way, you worked your way, as you said, back from injury, and you had that second stint begin back in February. And to be able to join that team in the midst of, of that season is is the the return back to the league as important and as impactful meaningful for you as that first call up I would say so yes because when that injury happened it happened during a time when you know I thought I was supposed to get my contract and I had my qualifying offer and um things were really trending up after having a good rookie season so that injury keeping me out for a little over six months was was very difficult because I didn't even know if I would be back with the team I didn't know what my options would be you know, once I recovered, but, um, I worked with the team and, um, everything was able to work out. So being able to miss that much time and still, still have an NBA level type of competitiveness, competitiveness and, you know, skill set was, um, was really uh, a blessing for me, you know, cause a lot of people, especially shooters have a tough time coming from a labrum tear like that in such a short time and being able to pick up right where they left off. So, I mean, I feel like that was a, another pretty large milestone in my career that uh, that I'm very thankful for. You, you know, you got a chance to play in, in quite a few of the playoff games, and including in uh, you know at least one finals game. What's the intensity like, and just the atmosphere of playing in an NBA finals game for for those of us who will never oh. get there? Oh yeah, it's it's a whole other level of concentration and focus. I mean, because the fans are at their loudest, the teams are playing at their best level. So it's just a it's a all over chaotic experience that you got to find your way through and remain calm through and you know the level of focus just has to be on a, a completely different level. I want to go back a little bit to your journey to get to where you are right now and you know you you had uh, plenty of experience in the G League you were with the Red Claws uh, after going undrafted you play over in Europe in Germany uh, you know did, was there a point in that journey that you were saying, I'm not sure if this is going to happen. I'm going to continue to, of course, play. But was there a moment of self-doubt? And if so, how did you overcome that? Um, I would say I wasn't particularly looking much towards the future. I was looking towards my situation I was in right now. Of course, the NBA was my dream. Playing in games in the NBA were my dream. But I was really focused on the journey and the teams that I was playing on the current moment and just really performing the best I could at that moment. Um, at times, you know, I, I did wonder if I was going to get to the NBA and how long it was going to take. But, you know, thanks to my family and a lot of my coaches, that support structure that I had, um, it helped me just remain focused on what I can control right now. And that was how I was playing, you know, whether I was in Maine or whether I was in Germany. 
and all the mini camps that I went to, just, just playing my game of basketball and playing a high level of basketball. Because I knew I was an NBA player this whole time. It was just a matter of getting the right opportunity. When you were over in Europe, what was the most eye-opening part of that experience, uh, just being over there, living over there, playing over there? Um, I would have to say it was just really growing up for me. Um, that was the really first time that I lived on my own and had to take care of my groceries and everything by myself. So it was really, it was really just growing up, becoming more of a man over there that really helped me, you know, shape my basketball game a little more and mature as an adult. And um, that was probably one of the most eye-opening things, you know, living living by yourself the first time in your own place in a massive city of Berlin. And, uh, yeah, it was just an eye-opening experience. How did your Holy Cross career and just your experience here prepare you for the journey that you've been on? Are there things that you can point to, whether it's basketball or non-basketball-related, that have helped you out, you feel like, along the way? I would have to say uh, my coaches and my teammates, you know, we had a really strong family structure there with uh, Coach Milan Brown and, and all of my teammates that were there during that time. I still stay in contact with them. Um, they call me after a lot of my games. They, they still keep up with my games and watch me even when I was in Germany. So that support structure, that, that family atmosphere that we had still continues today as I still text and call them all the time. So it's just – it's just having that feeling that I know that a lot of my friends that I grew up with playing basketball and developing playing basketball um, still have my back and can, you know, still won't be a yes man. They'll be able to tell me what's wrong with my game and how I'm playing different. With uh, your experience, obviously, at Holy Cross, uh, we opened up our conversation talking about how you're the first player in quite a long time to get to the NBA. How much pride do you take in that, knowing the, the strong basketball tradition, obviously, here at the college, and that you continue that line, you know, going back to, obviously, the early days of the NBA? Oh, no, it's very impressive. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to be in a conversation where your name is put up there with uh, Tommy Heinsohn and Bob Cousy. <laughs> especially when I didn't have the, the greatest college career that I wanted, but um, still being with some of those legendary names is an amazing experience. And um, like I said before, it's a thank you to my coaches and, and all my teammates to help me uh, progress and develop along that journey. You know, as the NBA has always said, there's, there's always room in the league for guys that can shoot. Is that something that you were always thinking about as somebody who considers that part of one of your core strengths as a player that, hey, you know what, as long as I keep working and getting better at this, you know, there's going to be a spot for me? Um, Definitely. I would have to say that's something I had to develop into a little more. Um, in college, that's when I really started to develop my three-point shot and, um, when I really started to work on it and with my size and length, um, that started to become, you know, my MO, what I had to do, uh, three and D. So I was always a good defender trying to defend one through five and, and, uh, the three point shot just seemed like the natural thing to really make teams more appealing towards myself, like really showcase my talent to different teams. And, um, being able to do that at a high level definitely sets you in the forefront of a lot of teams' minds. And just the way the game is being played, the way it's shifted, you know, ever since Golden State won its first title a few years ago, it just seems like the the league has looked for more players with that 3 and D type skill set. So, in a sense, the timing worked out as well as it possibly could for you. Oh, exactly. And um, 
it's it's definitely like you said, it's definitely a key point in the league now. I mean, being able to knock down the corner three, especially, is is what teams are really looking for because, um, as you said, the trend of the game is kind of shifting, and they're looking for a lot of guys between that you know six three and six eight build that can you know switch a lot of pick and rolls and switch screens and play fast. So you know, as you said, it's perfect timing for a player like myself. <laughs> Did you have uh, a welcome to the NBA type moment that you'll just never forget, whether it's uh, you get knocked down in your butt or you, you, uh, you hit a big shot, something along the way that particularly stands out, says, wow, I'm really here? Um, man, it might have been – it might be a tie between my first start against Charlotte, um, coming on as a two-way and being able to start an NBA game, or my first shot that I hit against Cleveland. Um we were up by 30, and uh, I was talking to one of my veterans, C.J. Miles, and he said, as soon as you get in the game, knock a shot down. And I think it was the first 20 seconds I got in, my first touch, I hit a three-pointer uh, right on the wing. So, I mean, it's got to be a tie between those two moments because, you know, you're first busting the NBA and you're first starting the NBA. Those are those are two pretty pretty big milestones. Now, uh, nah. so give us the inside scoop. Kawhi, I think it was about a year ago, he, he implored everyone. He said, I'm a fun guy. What, what's your take? fun guy oh for sure i mean uh the, the media the media is on his back quite a bit but i mean in regular conversation in the locker room and everything he's he's open to talk to everybody he is a fun guy he tells jokes and um i think kyle lowry talks about it a lot like he actually is a funny guy who makes jokes and and it's fun to be around who are some of the guys that maybe you've learned the most from or maybe have taken you under their wing as, uh, again, kind of showing you the way things are done, whether it's on the court, off the court? Did you have guides that helped you out as, as you acclimated to, to life in the league? Um, my rookie year, C.J. Miles helped me out a lot, um, considering you know we were both shooters. He had been in the league for a lot of years doing what he does at a very high level. So I would say my rookie year, you know, he really, he really um, helped me out and, you know, gave me the confidence to, you know, shoot at an NBA level and just, just kind of showed me the rope a little bit. And since then, you know, it's been a, a collective effort throughout the team of holding each other accountable. And I think that's what makes what made this an NBA championship team and will continue to make this a championship level team. So for you, where where do you go for? What are you working on right now as far as developing your game and, and making sure that you're uh, with the team throughout the entire season and that you continue to grow and be an impact player? Is there something or aspects of your game that you're specifically trying to work on that you worked on in the off season to get ready for this year? Um, I would have to say um, really shots on the move and uh, just continue to be an elite three-point shooter. I mean, that's that's something that I feel like this team needs and it works well in our offense. And um, my defense has, you know, always been strong anytime I've gone in the game. So adding adding another dimension to my three-point shooting, I feel, would really be beneficial towards myself and this team. And finally, how excited are you for October 22nd, New Orleans uh, Pelicans in town? Uh, have you gotten a preview of the ring? Do you know the hardware that uh, you're going to be getting, what it looks like yet? Or is it still uh, under uh, under curtains and surprise? Oh, it's definitely a surprise. They've been keeping it under wraps. I haven't heard a single thing about it besides they're huge and they're beautiful. So <laughs> I'm very excited for that night. Uh, you know, one on one side, it's the first game of the season. Another one, we get our rings. Two, you get to see the banner up. Like, it's just so many factors that's going to make that an amazing night. 
Well, Malcolm, you uh, certainly converted a lot of folks, at least uh, for the playoff run, uh, to big Toronto fans. Uh, you know, in the playoffs last year, a lot of folks here in central Massachusetts were rooting for you. And, hey, they didn't need to change their colors out. They could keep the, the purple with the, the Raptors, one of their colors being purple, right? Oh, uh, yeah, bringing back the throwback jerseys, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly, with the Holy Cross purple. Well, uh, we, we continue to to follow you and uh, root for you and wish you all the best and uh, thank you so much for joining us here today and wish you all the best of luck here moving forward and of course throughout this season thank you very much and i appreciate all the support our thanks to all our guests here this week on the Sater stories podcast aaron hall former women's hockey player former men's hockey player scott pooley Nick Lavello, former baseball player with the Red Sox organization, and, of course, Khalif Raymond of the Titans and Malcolm Miller of the Toronto Raptors. Be sure to join us next time on the Sater Stories podcast. We're going to get into basketball season with the men's and the women's teams here at Holy Cross. You're not going to want to miss it. That's next time on the Sater Stories podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sater Stories. Stay in the loop on all things Holy Cross Athletics at GoHolyCross.com and at GoHolyCross on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go Cross Go!